Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. I want to talk about a topic that is often misunderstood. It's vitally important. It's very important to the life of a Christian and to a believer. Um, It's something that we can feel deeply within our hearts, but mentally we can misunderstand what it is supposed to be. We We misappropriate the context of it. We misunderstand when we're supposed to do it or how we're supposed to do it or who we're supposed to do it with. The topic that I'm talking about. It's the topic of confession. Everybody say confession. Now, for some of you, as I go into this message, I'm going to confirm some things that you've long believed for a long time. You've felt them, you've believed them, and and when when I'm preaching, you're going to go, yep, that's it. But for others, this is going to be a completely new way of thinking about this topic. It's going to change your mind in some things. It's going to renew your minds in some ways. And, but beyond both of those things, I hope that this message brings about necessary change in our lives. I hope it changes us, not just the way we think. It needs to change the way that we think. But more importantly than the way we think, I hope it changes the way that we live. So I can't wait. Let's get right into it. I want to go back, surprisingly, I want to go right back to the exact same verse that we started in our relationship series. We're going to be in the exact same chapter as our relationship series. And so I want you to dive right into it. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1. This is what it says, and this should be familiar to you after this last series. It says, imitate God, therefore... In everything you do, because you are his dear children. Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you are his dear children. Now, this chapter and really the large portion of the book of Ephesians that we've been reading out of for this past month is focused on your identity, who you are what the Bible says about you. And we're gonna talk a lot about your identity today because that is who you are. That's a, and we're, we're gonna talk about confession, but really we're gonna talk about your identity in conjunction with your confession. And this verse says that our identity is we are God's dear children. It's another way of saying you are God's beloved children. God has a soft spot And his soft spot is for you. His love is tender for you. His love is kind for you. And I know some of you didn't come into this room today feeling that. But I'm here to tell you that is how God feels about you. He loves you. And he cares about you. That is who you are. Paul starts this by saying, imitate God. But then he says this word that I want you to pay attention to any time you read this in the Bible. He says, imitate God, and then what's the next word? Therefore. Now, in the Bible, whenever you see the word therefore, you have to ask yourself the question, what is it therefore? 
If you're going to understand what the Bible is saying, when the Bible says, therefore, you have to backtrack. You have to immediately go, okay, why is it there? What is it there for? And so the reason why Paul uses this conjunction, this word, therefore, it's a continuing thought from what he was saying in chapter four. Now, I want you to know something. This is just a side note for you, for those Bible nerds in the room. The Bible was not written in chapters and verses. When Paul wrote the book of Ephesians, he didn't go chapter one, verse one, Paul, an apostle of Christ. He didn't do that. Paul wrote a letter. It was all in one letter, one scroll or one papyrus or whatever. He wrote one long letter to the people. And it wasn't until, I believe it was the early 1900s or maybe 1800s that we came back and we added chapters and verses to break it up and help us understand better and be able to track better and quote different things. But Paul wrote this as one long letter. That's what the Bible was. And so when he's saying, therefore, and we, here's the problem, we read it sometimes chapter by chapter, or we read one chapter and we move on to the next day and we read the next chapter. And sometimes you can miss the bridge between one chapter and the next. But words like therefore make us go back and go, okay, okay, what is this there for? In the book of Ephesians, in chapters one through four, Paul has been talking about this glorious thing that God created called the church. We don't understand it fully because here we are 2,000 years later, but it was a miraculous thing to have the Jews and the Gentiles together. Talked a lot about that in the book of Acts. Paul talked about that and how God created for himself a whole new big family, this new entity that the world had never seen before called the church. He talked about how we're seated in Christ. He talks about how we are made alive in Christ Jesus. And essentially, he's telling us who we are. He's telling the book of the people of Ephesus, this is who you are. You are the glorious church, the glorious called people of God. He were his dear children. In chapter two, God calls us through Paul, his masterpiece created anew in Christ Jesus. I want you to, I'm trying to get you the context here. In chapter two, he says, you are God's masterpiece. I don't know about you, when I think of a masterpiece, I think of one of two things. I think of Gordon Ramsay, because I love food. Or I think of Bob Ross. Some of y'all remember Bob Ross. I'm just telling you, if, if you want, if you haven't slept in a while, just cut on Bob Ross. If you're stressed, just listen to him talk about some happy little trees and you'll be fine. But a masterpiece, something beautiful, something exquisite, something amazing. That's what God called you the church, his masterpiece. The Bible also talks about this in the book of Ephesians. It goes on to say that in you, the faith that's in you, God can do exceedingly abundantly and above all we could ever ask, think, or imagine. Nothing is impossible because of the faith that lives in you. This is all Paul laying out for the people of of Ephesus. This is who you are. 
The faith that is inside of you can do impossible things. You are God's masterpiece. In chapter 4, verse 1, he goes on to say this. He says, therefore, again, verses chapters 1 through 3, he's been telling them all of that amazing stuff. He goes on, he says, therefore, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, because he was in prison at the time, I beg you, don't miss this, I beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. He's saying, you're all these amazing things. This is who God's created you to be. This is what God has done for you. You're his masterpiece. You can do exceedingly, God can do exceedingly abundantly above all because of the power that works inside of you. You're created to be in unity with one another. So therefore, because you're called to this, walk worthy of that calling. Walk worthy of that calling. You're called to this. Now live like it. You're called to be God's expression in the earth. Now live like it. And then he goes on to tell us the do's and the don'ts, if you will, of that. He, really, he's telling us what that does and what that does not look like. Same chapter, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. With the Lord's authority, I say this. Let's pause right there. In other words, Paul is saying, this is not my opinion. This is the word of the Lord. This is God's will. And if this was God's will for them, this is God's will for us. With the Lord's authority, I say this. Live no longer as the Gentiles do, for they are hopelessly confused. Their minds are full of darkness. I want you to pay attention to that phrase darkness because he's going to use that a lot. They wonder far from the, the life God gives because they have closed their minds and hardened their hearts against him. They have no sense of shame. They live for lustful pleasure and eagerly practice every kind of impurity. But that isn't who you learned about Christ. Excuse me, what you learned about Christ. Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, listen, it's so important. Verse 22, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deceit, excuse me, and deception. Instead, let the spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on, everybody say put on. Put on. On your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. Paul is saying, this is who you were. You used to be dressed in darkness, but now you're a child of the king. You are a king's child. You are a prince and a princess. Why are you dressed like peasants? Why are you putting on the old darkness when you are called to this? Isn't it amazing how when you, sometimes you see people you highly regard and you highly respect and you see them dressed down and like cut off, you see them in Walmart and they have like cut off jeans and stuff and you're like, that looks weird. Because they don't seem to be dressed and consistent with who they are. That's what this is saying. He's saying, put on the newness. 
Put on who God says you are. Put on the new way of living, your new nature. Which means take off the old. Verse 25, he gets real practical. So stop telling lies. This sounds real good in like an ethereal, in a conceptual kind of way until it gets real practical. What does that mean to put on a new one? It means stop lying. Stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbors the truth. For we are all parts of the same body. And don't sin by letting anger control you. He's getting real practical here. Saying, stop lying. Stop letting your anger control you. Now notice, he doesn't say, stop getting angry. Okay, the Bible says, be angry and sin not. Anger is something you're going to face, but what you do with it controls whether or not it's a sin or not. We all get angry. If you got young kids, you get angry. If you have teenagers, you get real angry. But what you do with that, determines whether or not it's sin against God. Does that make sense? It's real practical. This is not my list. This is the Bible. Don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry. I'm telling you what, when I'm in an an argument with my wife, I hate that scripture. (laughs) But it comes to me often. Don't let the sun go down. God, can you please tell her that at least once? Like, if you tell her, can you tell her that too? Nope, you're the leader. Okay, all right. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. Listen to this. If you are a thief, quit stealing. Say la for a moment. If you are a thief, quit stealing. If you're still stealing from people here, you need to take that old man off. You're not reflecting Jesus when you live a life that's deceiving people, tricking people, stealing things from people. Take that off. Instead, use your hands for good hard work and then give generously to others in need. Let me pause again for a moment. When I'm saying don't steal, most of us get the thought in our mind, somebody that goes into Walmart and puts stuff in their pocket. How about what you're stealing from the government? How about when you're cheating on your taxes? How about when your job puts you in a position that causes you to lie and and deceive people in order to get their money and their resources? If you are a thief, if you are a thief, quit stealing. And then it tells us what to do instead of stealing. For some of you, I'm not trying to get super spiritual, but I'm just going to practically tell you, for some of you, this is a warning from the Lord. Because either you stop sinning against God by doing this or God exposes you. We either repent of when he deals with something or he exposes us. So if you are a thief, quit stealing. 
Instead, what do y'all do instead of that? Instead, use your hands for good hard work and then give generously to others in need. Let me stop right there for the excuse that sometimes we make. Well, I can't find a job. I don't know if I'm able to do a job. Are you kidding me? In 2022, everybody's hiring. It may not be the job you want, but get a job until you get the job you want. I mean, they'll pay you right now to, to work in your pajamas in your room. People are desperate right now for them. Then he goes even further. It says, and then give generously to others in need. You see the, the, the contradiction there, the, the, the juxtaposition, the change from being a thief and stealing and it being about me to working a job so that I can be generous and give to others. It's a complete change in nature. One nature says, I have to meet my needs. The other nature says, what about the needs of others? Verse 29, don't use foul or abusive language. Uh Uh-oh. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. And do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way that you live. Did you know that you can grieve the Holy Spirit of God? If you're born again, you're filled with the Spirit. God's Spirit lives inside of you. And I can remember being early on as a Christian, having moments where I started feeling things I wasn't used to feeling. When I was grieving the Holy Spirit. And I would feel convicted. I remember one time I was a teenager and I woke up and I just was, I was on my knees praying and I was just grieving and crying and I didn't even know why. There are moments when you grieve God living inside of you and you can feel his grief inside of you. The Holy Spirit is very real. This is not a religion. This is a person. And that person lives in you, and you can grieve him. He goes on to say, remember, he has identified you as his own, guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. Get rid of all, he gives us more, get get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. He says, instead of this, he says, do this. Now, before you assume that this is just a list of things for behavior modification and things that you need to stop doing, this is much more than a list of things that you need to stop doing. This is not, this is much more than your behavior. This is about your identity. This is about who you really are. Paul spent the whole first four chapters of the book telling them, this is who you are. And then in the next four, five, and six, he's telling them how to live consistently with their new identity. This is not bad. Stop doing that. Because the truth is, is if you are born again, you don't want to do those things anymore. And now you're in a process of learning how to live out the new light that you're living in. Don't get me wrong, when I say you don't want to do that, it doesn't mean that you're not tempted to do them. I'm talking about your sincere desire is to please God much more than it is to please yourself. 
So when temptation comes, you recognize it's temptation. You recognize you have flesh. The Bible says in Galatians, the flesh and the spirit are constantly at war with one another. But it's like two dogs that you're trying, that you're figuring out which one I want to feed and which one I want to starve. Are y'all with me this morning? You have to know what your identity is because you will never live consistently in a manner that's inconsistent with who you believe you really are. Let me say that again. You will never live consistently in a manner that is inconsistent with how you believe or who you believe you are. If you believe I'm just a drunk, that's how you're going to live. If you believe I just, I'm an adulterer, that's who I am, that's what I do, that's how you're going to live. But if you believe I'm a child of God, I'm created in his image, that's how you're going to live. That's one reason why I don't like evolution. One of the many reasons why I don't like evolution. Because evolution tells you that you came from animals. So if you tell people long enough that they came from animals, don't be surprised when they live like one. When you tell your kids there's no purpose and we're all meaningless and we're just here for a few years and then we go to nothing. Don't be surprised when they live a purposeless life and they live their lives for themselves and what they can get out of the world. See, what's Paul doing? Paul is pushing, don't miss this. He wasn't talking to a group of holier than thou people. He was pushing against a culture. He was cutting with a knife through the lies of the culture to help them see the truth. That's what he was doing. We can't live our lives in a way that, that is based on what the predominant thought of the day is. What the predominant culture of the day is or philosophy of the day. Or this is what we believe is right today. Because believe it or not, it changes every so many years. What we believe was right 20 years ago, we don't believe it's right anymore. We believe was wrong 20 years ago. We no longer believe is wrong. Why? Because the days and the times in which we live are always changing. But you know what doesn't change? God's word. It is consistently called things wrong a thousand years ago that it calls things that are wrong today. The exact same things. And our society may become, we're more accepting and more opening and more loving when that's not love at all. Because the same people that we're telling, we love and accept you. We do. We love and we accept the person. But if we are not calling sin a sin, that person will stand before a holy God and receive judgment. That's not mercy. Love and mercy loves people enough to tell them the truth and to help them. To help them get out of the mess that they're in. It's not compassionate to go, I'm just going to leave you the way that you are and accept you. Don't accept me if I'm wrong. Tell me the truth if I'm wrong. Challenge the way I think if I'm wrong. We are the church. The same thing that Paul was saying about Ephesus, he's saying about us. God is saying about us. He's telling them to put off those things and to put on who they really are. That's why, going back to chapter 15, that's why he says, imitate God, therefore. Because of all of those things, therefore, imitate God. And he goes on to say this, 
in everything you do. Why? Because of who you are. Because you are his dear children. Then he says, live a life filled with love. Following the example of Christ, he loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. Let there be no sexual immorality, impurity, or greed among you. Such sins have no place among God's people. Say that again. Such sins have no place among God's people. Verse four, obscene stories, foolish talk, and coarse jokes, these are not for you. Now, if you're immediately asking yourself the question, Pastor, where's the line at? You're asking yourself the wrong question. Some of you immediately went to, okay, well, okay, well, Pastor, well, where's the line? I mean, I don't want to get religious. How about you try to stay as far away from it as possible instead of seeing how close you can get to it? Listen, church, I, 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 I love y'all. And I count it as one of the greatest joys of my life to be your pastor. I really do. My heart is that what I'm saying today really soaks in and we really get this because this is who we are called to be. This is who we really, really are. So please don't take anything. I'm, this, I'm not even giving you my words right now. I'm giving you the words of the Bible. The words of Scripture. This is not my opinion. This is the text. This is what he says. So please hear me as I say these things. And I will say this. I'm done with trying to make God palatable so that people will accept him. Our job, my job is not to get you to accept God. God is the one doing the accepting. We change to follow him. He doesn't change so that we accept him. That's not how this works. The Bible says instead... Instead of what? Instead of the way that we used to talk. Instead, let there be thankfulness to God. Replace, replace your speech with gratitude and worship. Verse 5, you can be sure, listen to these words, you can be sure that no immoral, impure, or greedy person will inherit the kingdom of Christ and of God. For a greedy person is an idolater. Worshiping the things of this world. Again, this is not me giving my opinions. This is what the word says. And some of you may automatically, because again, I've, I've been doing this long enough. I know people and I know even my own carnal thoughts at times. Well, pastor, you don't understand. See, this is why I do this. You, listen, I, I hear what you're saying, pastor, but I heard a preacher one time say this, or I heard my priest say one time that this was okay, and, and I, here's the thing, I don't really believe that if you do that, then it means that. I'm so glad that you said that, because let me read what the very next verse says. Don't be fooled by those who try to excuse these sins. For the anger of God will fall on all who disobey him. 
let the words, let the weight of those words impact us. It says, don't be fooled by the people who simply excuse those things away. Pastor, this is heavy. It's supposed to be. We're supposed to see this for what it is. And he goes on to say, for those people, for those of us who excuse away our sin and we just keep living in it, he says, for the anger of God will fall on those who disobey him. Wait a minute, pastor. I thought God was love. He is. Verse two tells us he's love. His example of love is given to us. It says, he loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us. So wait a minute. So why, how could God be angry? He loves us. And he hates sin. Both are true. He loves us and he hates sin. Those two, there's no division between those two. Those are co-equally who God is. He's a just, righteous God who hates our sin. But he loves us sacrificially. God is holy. God is holy. God knows what sin does to us. He knows the trap that our sin keeps us. And isn't it ironic? We ask God to set us free. God, forgive me, cleanse me. God, heal me from this, but I'm stuck in it. And we get to a point where we want God to accept that God will never accept your sin. Please hear me. He will never allow you to excuse it away as much as he loves you. I'm a dad to my daughters and I absolutely love them, but I will never be okay with them playing in traffic. I will never be okay with them running around with sharp objects and knives. I will never be okay with that because I love them. That doesn't make, call me judgmental if you want to. I'm not letting them do that because I love them. And I know what that can do to them. God loves you just the way that you are, but he loves you way too much to leave you that way. Verse seven, Paul keeps going. This is who we are. He's trying to get us to live consistently with our identity. Don't participate in the things these people do. Who? The people that excuse those those sins away as if it's okay. Church, let me tell you something. The Bible talks about, you know, We're called to reach the lost, right? Paul even came back at one point and clarified, when I told you don't eat with certain people, I wasn't talking about lost people. You need to eat with them. You need to spend time with lost people. That's how you reach them. He said the people that I was talking about were the people who call themselves brothers and sisters who excuse away their sin and they live in that. Paul said don't even eat with them. Verse eight, for once... You were full of darkness, but now you have light from the Lord. So live as people of the light. That's the contrast. That's who you were, but that's no longer who you are. That is who you were, church. That is no longer who you are. For this light within you produces only what is good and right and true. Verse 10. Carefully determine what pleases the Lord. Take no part in the worthless deeds of evil and, there's that word again, darkness. Instead, expose them. It is shameful even to talk about the things that ungodly people do in secret. 
Church, let me tell you something that is, for some of you, you really, we all need to hear. And I've said it many times before, you are only as sick as your secrets. You're only as sick as the things you keep covered and you keep hidden that you refuse to let the light in on. He's telling us to put on the light, put on our new identity. But when we keep the darkness on, we stay cloaked, we stay hidden. I don't want anybody to know that. You stay in your darkness, you stay trapped in your darkness when the thing that you need is to bring the light in. Because in the light, there's freedom. In the light, there's healing. Some of you live in perpetual guilt and shame because you've never opened up and let the light into those areas. Listen, I know this was not, yay, this was exciting. But this is so needed for us as children of the light. This is a call to take the darkness off. Verse 13, but their evil intentions will be exposed when the light shines on them. For the light makes everything visible. This is why it is said, awake, O sleeper, rise up from the dead, and Christ will give you light. Scholars believe that was a song that they had. The early church would sing that song. That was one of the hymns that they would use and they would sing. But he's saying, expose it. Expose it. Here's the thing that is very important for you to know. If you don't embarrass your sin, your sin will embarrass you. If you don't expose the darkness in your life, it will come out one day or another. Often when I'm counseling couples who have gone through times of infidelity with someone's, one of the, one of the only, at times, I'm not saying it ever has to be this, but there are times when the only saving grace for a couple to be reconciled is the person came forward with the sin instead of being found out. When the person comes forward with the sin, at least there's some level of repentance there and there's a possibility for change versus when they're found out and who knows if it's ever going to happen again because they weren't willing to expose themselves. Transition from chapters one and three to chapters four and six is the transition between your calling and your conduct. Here's the main point of my message. If you're taking notes, write this down. This is the main point I'm trying to make to you today. Come out of darkness because you are called to be children of light. Come out of darkness because you are called to be children of the light. Simply put, what happens in Vegas doesn't stay in Vegas. What happens in Lauraville doesn't stay in Lauraville. Don't even get me started on Catahoula. What's done in secret will eventually be brought to light. You are called to be the children of the light. That's why once again, Ephesians 4, 1 says this, therefore, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. Excuse me, here's a question. What's in your life that still reflects the darkness that Jesus saved you from? Before you excuse it away and go, well, pastor, we're all in process, we're all trying to go, I know that. But don't excuse the way to think God's putting his finger on now that he wants you to walk out of. Don't excuse the way, okay, I'm just, I'm trying to get better. No, no, no. What does God want you to repent of 
today and turn from today? Is it the way that you speak? Is it the lies that you tell? Is it your rage? Is it your inability to have self-control and not fly off the handle on people and your children and your things? Is it your bitterness? Are you stuck in a pattern of bitterness where you refuse to forgive other people and that bitterness now exudes from you? Where people don't even want to be around you because you think you're protecting yourself from them, but really you're repelling everyone away from you because you refuse to walk in forgiveness. Let me tell you what bitterness is like. It stinks. It's the scent that you give off and you think you're protecting yourself, but you're pushing away the very people that God sends into your life to help you. Is it your sexual purity? Is God putting his finger on something today that he wants you to turn from? I want you to really ponder that and think about that. I don't know if I couldn't be free. Yes, you can. He can free you. You gotta want him to. You've gotta want him more than you want your sin. Replace those things. Commit to speak life over people. Commit to be loving. Notice I didn't say feel loving. Commit to be loving. Be forgiving. Commit to be forgiving. Commit to purity. Pastor, this seems too hard. That's probably why Paul spent the whole first three chapters telling you who you really are. Because you've lived for 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 years believing that those lies are who you are. I have to do this sin. I have to do this. When I get the urge, I have to do it. When I'm trapped in the corner, I have to lie. When people hurt me, I have to hold on to it. No, says who? Because that's not what the person who created you says about you in the manual that he's given you for your life. What I'm telling you is the truth, even if you've been stuck in a lie your whole life. Think about it like this. Again, I'm not talking about behavior modification. I'm talking about living a life consistent with who you are. When God brought the children of Israel out of, when he brought them out of bondage in Egypt, they were free. They were no longer slaves. Yet for the next 40 years of their life, God had them wandering around a wilderness. What was he doing? He was pulling slavery out of them. Because in their minds, they were still slaves, even though they were free. Some of you, in your mind, you believe that you're still a slave to sin when God has freed you from that. And you've got to see yourself that way. I don't know if I could ever be free. I mean, my parents did this. My uncles did this. My mom, she did this. They were all, this is just my family. Stop agreeing with the lies of the devil. It's not the truth. You've made these even verbal word vows and these commitments to those sin patterns that have held you with an ungodly belief stuck in a pattern of sin. 
Instead of believing what the truth of God's word says about you, you are a slave to righteousness. You're no longer a slave to sin. You are a new creation in Christ Jesus. All things, all things have passed away, but all things have become new. That's what the word says about you. Take off the darkness and put on the light. You're born again to walk in that freedom. I don't know if I can. What God appoints, he anoints. Another way of saying that is God's will, God's bill. If he says this and he himself is responsible to give you the grace and the power you need to live out what he says you are. Verse 15, so be careful how you live. Don't live like fools. Be like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. I normally would make a joke right there. I would normally make a joke about the Cajun culture. But can I just be blunt with you for a minute? It's not cute. And it's not a joke. If you're living a life of drunkenness, it is ruining your life. Now, I'm not saying that having a drink is sin. It's not. But some of the exact same people who would go, that's right, pastor, it's not a sin, are living a life of drunkenness. And you're using that as an ability to excuse away your sin. Stop it. Why? Because it is ruining your life. I've seen it happen. I've seen successful people doing incredible things who can't let go of their drunkenness and it starts ruining their families, ruining their relationships, and starting a pattern for their kids to start left behind rather than starting at the place they did. It's not a joke. I get it, you're Cajun, that's what we do. Ephesus was full of cultural things that Paul was speaking against. More than you are a Cajun, you're a Christian. Not only that, it ruins your witness. Again, not having a drink, that does not ruin your witness. I'm not trying to be religious or legalistic, but drunkenness ruins your witness. When people see that, when they see that in your life, They don't go, I want to follow Jesus because of that. G. Campbell Morgan says it this way. It says, the apostle makes a contrast between false excitement and true enthusiasm, bringing, excuse me, between being drunken with wine and being filled with the spirit. I want you to see this. This is what Paul is saying here. The contrast is this. Being drunk, yeah, you get excited for a moment. But being filled with the spirit is living a life of enthusiasm. It's the difference between a momentary high and a a life-lasting high, a river that you continue to drink from. That's what he's saying. Verse 19, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves and making music to the Lord in your hearts and give thanks for everything to God, the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Saying, instead of complaining and gossiping and speaking evil of others, use your words 
to worship God and to build others up. So let me answer the question that all of you are asking at this point. I thought this message was about confession. (laughs) It is. But without the conviction of the Holy Spirit, how do you know what you need to confess? Without seeing the image of who you are and the inconsistency with how your behavior, your, your, your conduct versus your calling, how do you know what to confess? The conviction of the Holy Spirit points out where we need to change and what we need to confess. So now, I wanna break down for you three types of confession. And really what I'm doing is three ways to live in the light. Three ways to live in the light. Number one, we confess to God. We confess to God. He knows it anyway, but we confess to him. See, the irony of Adam and Eve in their sin is when they sin, they hid from God. Think about that. He created them. He created where they're at. He created where they're standing. And he created the very thing that they covered themselves with. Yet they hid from him. And he had to come walking through the garden saying, Adam, where are you? He already knew where Adam was. That question wasn't for himself. That question was for Adam. Who do we confess to when we're living in a pattern of sin? We confess to God. Because more than you want to be forgiven, he wants to forgive you. That is his love for us. He loves us. He loves you. So even as I tell you these things, and I know some of you are convicted by this sin, let me tell you what the Bible says about conviction. It is the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. I'm not preaching this because God is hard. I'm preaching this because he loves you and he's giving you a chance today to turn from this and live consistently with who you are. God is love. And he wants us pure, and he wants us clean, and he wants us holy. This is who he is. When we sin, we get in shame and we try to hide from God. But this is what, this is a verse that I've quoted many, many, many times in my Christian journey and many, many, many times in my own sin. First John chapter one, verse eight says this. If we claim we have no sin, listen to this, for all of us who like to excuse away our sin, If we claim we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. There's been many times I've messed up and I've brought it back to God and I've quoted this very same scripture. Lord, you said, if I confess my sins to you, you are faithful and you are just to forgive me and to cleanse me of all sin and unrighteousness. If I bring it to him, when he says he forgives me, he really does. When he says he forgives you and you repent and you bring it to him, he really does. You don't have to carry that with you when he forgives you. Because he is love. Why do we confess our sins? We confess our sins to God for forgiveness. Number two, we confess our sins to others. And this one's probably the most misunderstood confession. 
Because depending on the type of denomination that you grew up in, some of you were taught, I go and I, I sit with a priest and there's a, a, a cloth or something that separates me from them and they don't know who I am, but I know who they are and I confess my sin that way and that's how I get forgiveness. You don't confess to a man to receive forgiveness. But depending on where we grew up, some of us stop there. And we go, I don't need to confess my sin to people. The Bible doesn't say you don't need to confess your sins to people. It says you, doesn't, you don't need to confess your sins to people for forgiveness. You do need to confess to people. Why? For healing. For healing. See, God's called us to need one another. When you confess your sins to others, you are bringing what is in the dark into the light. In the light, there's transparency. In the light, there's accountability. In the light, there's freedom. This is what confessing sins to people. It's like cutting the light on, and when you do, the roaches scatter. Come on, my people who grew up in the hood like me. Don't leave me out here by myself. Going in your refrigerator, your kitchen. I saw a meme one time that says, everybody's a gangster until the roaches start flying. <laughs> when we confess our faults to one another, what's taking place? Healing. Healing. This is what James chapter 5 says, verse 14. Are any of you sick? You should call for the elders of the church to come and pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. Such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick, and the Lord will make you well. And if you have committed any sins, don't miss this, you will be forgiven. Verse 16, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that what? You may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Church, one of the most freeing feelings in the world is knowing that there's no secrets in your life. And there have been times in my life where I have had to go and confess the hardest, most shameful things in my life and in my soul. And every, just about every time I've had to do that, I've gone into it scared, I've gone into it nervous, I've gone into it thinking, what are they going to think about me? Are they going to judge me? Are they going to push me away? Are they going to think I'm gross? Are they going to think I'm weird? Are they going to think any of those things? And instead, I've been met with God's love and his acceptance and his approval and his freedom. And many of the times you walk into a me too. I've been there. Let me tell you what God did to free me. See, this is what the scriptures say. God resists the, I'm almost done. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. See, when we're holding on to it, going, I got this, I can do this, we're doing that in our own pride. And you know what God does when we're doing things in our pride? Go get it, big boy. Go do it. Go do it as long as you can, as long as you want to. When you're ready, I'll be here. But he gives grace to the humble. When we come, I don't know how to get out of this mess that I put myself in. I need help. 
The grace of God meets you right where you're at. And the ability to change comes. And the healing you need comes. And the accountability you need. See, what happens when you confess your sins to others? You open up yourself to accountability. And you allow people to come and ask you, hey, how's that going? And now what used to be shameful and I don't want anybody to know becomes a conversation that you can have about the struggle and your progress or your digression in that area. That's what accountability does. It's not there for people to control you. It's there for people to help you. Now, don't get me wrong. I've heard this said many times. Sorry, my, own, my pastor say this. You have to know who to show your undershirt to and who to show your underwear to. You don't confess to any and everybody. And you don't go to untrustworthy people. It is foolish to confess your sin to gossip. When a person shows you they're a gossip, check. I know not to talk to them. But when you find someone who's trustworthy, in confidence you tell them, this is what I'm struggling with. Will you pray for me? Will you hold me accountable? Absolutely. There's not been a dark sin in my life that I have not brought to someone and said, this has been a struggle in my life. And that's a freeing thing to be able to say. Why do we confess to others for healing? Lastly, and I'm closing. This one's a little different, but it's the confession of the truth. We talked about the confession to God. We talked about the confession to others. Now I'm talking about the confession of the truth, which is really the confession to yourself. This may seem different, but when you're taking off the darkness, you've got to put something else on. When you're taking off those old sins and those old patterns of living, you've got to put on the light. Romans chapter 12 verse 2 says it like this. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person. Who was he talking to? Christians. Let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. That's what he's saying. Once you take off the darkness, you replace it with a new way of thinking about yourself. You believe what God says about you. You believe what the word tells you about yourself and who you really are. Listen to me, church. Every, let me tell you some very practical things that I do in my life to battle sin. Listen, I've been a Christian now longer than I was lost. I got saved when I was 16. I'm 41 years old. You do the math. And there are still things in my life that I have to quote the Bible daily on and read what God's word says daily on. What am I doing? I'm fighting against the patterns of my old man. We all need that. Every day I'm confessing the truth. At the end of every one of my, my morning prayer times, maybe one time I haven't did this, but I came back that night and did it because I want it to be a consistent pattern in my life. I read what God says about me. I literally went and I wrote out my struggles and the sin patterns and the things that, that I know the devil says about me or the things I've believed about me. 
And I found what the Bible says and how those things fight against one another. And I've created, I created a list. And daily I'm saying, this is what God says I am. We even have the list out there, the 40 I am's. Grab them. Grab a hold of them and pace the floor of your house in the morning, reading over those things that God says about you until you believe it and until you live in a manner that's consistent with what that says about you. You're renewing your mind. You're transforming. You're seeing that you're no longer stuck in the pattern that you were stuck in. You are free. Many of you have heard this little analogy. I promise you I'm closing. But it's like when you have a flea in a jar. You can put a flea in the jar and close the lid and that thing is going to jump up and keep hitting its head until it learns that if I jump this high, it hurts. And you take the lid off and it's never going to jump beyond that spot again. Why? Because it's learned through its pain that I can't go beyond this. But Jesus has taken the lid off of you and some of you are still jumping up just to that spot. And you don't see you're free. Get out of that. Jump out of it. The cage is open. How do I do that? How do I walk out of it? You confess it to God. You repent of it. You find a trusted person and you confess it to them. And then you get into a habit of confessing the word of God over your life, over your mind, renewing your mind. We used to teach people, old school, get index cards, write scriptures, put them in your car, put them in your bathroom, walk into your bathroom and have lipstick written on your mirror. This is what God says about me. It may be old school, but guess what? It works. It works. Lastly, Psalms 119 says this. How can a young person stay pure? By obeying your word. I have tried hard to find you. Don't let me wander from your commandments. Verse 11, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Hide his word in your heart. Make that your confession of faith. Close your eyes. Let me pray for you this morning. Thank you for letting me go long this morning. Come out of darkness, you're called to be children of the light. If you're here this morning and you say, Pastor Gabe, there's sin in my life that I need to confess to God. Let's confess it to him this morning. Let's get that right this morning. Stand to your feet, church, everybody in this place. Let's stand to our feet and I'm gonna pray for you. But first, I want us to get this right with God. You can cut the lights down. Every eye closed and every head bowed. If you say, Pastor, there's some things that God has convicted me of today that I need to repent, I need to get right with him. Will you just lift up your hand right now and just say, that's me, that's me. I need to repent. There's some things that I need to bring to him. I need him to forgive me of some things. He already sees it. He already knows it, and he wants to forgive you. Let's pray this prayer out loud together. This is not the prayer of salvation, but for you, this is the prayer of repentance. Simply put, I want you to say this, everybody out loud. Say, Lord, forgive me. 
You've pointed this sin out in my life. Now I repent to you. I no longer want that. I want you more. And I want to live consistently with who you say I am. Now I receive your forgiveness. Your word says, if I confess my faults, you are faithful and you are just to forgive me and to cleanse me of all sin and unrighteousness. So I receive that in Jesus' name. Now, Lord, I pray for every person here. I pray that even this week you would put them in opportunities, Lord, in small group settings and one-on-one conversations where they can open up, Lord, about the sin patterns in their life and the things that they need to come out of. And I pray, Lord, that you would meet them as they humble themselves. You would meet them with the grace that they need to walk out of that. Help us, God. Help us to live consistently with who you've called us to be. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you for your freedom, God, that comes from living as children of the light. I speak that over every one of us. We are children of the light. Help us to walk worthy of that calling. Bless your people today, God. Make your face shine on them. Prosper and bless what they put their hands to. In Jesus' name, amen.